0: Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Deputy Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we've got uh, a bit of a mix for you. We're going to kick things off talking about the first episode of The Mandalorian, the show that just premiered on Disney+. Plus. Then we're going to talk a little bit about Disney+, Plus, how it works, what how it stands out among streaming services, things like that. And then we're going to talk about why Dr. Sleep flopped this past <laughs> weekend. That was our original plan was just like, oh, we'll talk about Dr. Sleep in this episode because everyone's going to go see Dr. Sleep. And that did not happen. So <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the show for today. So let's kick things off. Talk a little bit about Mandalorian, which I woke up at 6 a.m. to watch for reasons beyond understanding. Yeah, uh, we're we're recording this on the Tuesday of the release of uh, Disney
1: Plus, and we have been working since 6 a.m. basically.
0: Yes, all <laughs> it, hail Disney! All well, hail Disney!
1: All for Disney because Disney refused to provide uh, screener links for The Mandalorian. We didn't know what to expect. So everyone in the media industry got up super early. God bless our West Coast colleagues. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm sh-
0: bitching about 6 a.m. They got up at 3 a.m.
1: Yeah, yeah, watched the show and wrote a review. So all those reviews you're reading were hastily written. Early, super early in the morning,
0: having watched something super early in the morning for no reason at all. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if there were some big twist at the in the in the Mandalorian and I'm going to start. We're going to dig into spoilers here a bit. Um, Not 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 too much, but I will say there is nothing in the episode. It's not like the episode ends and then it's like. You know, Han Solo comes in. It's like we gotta go. (laughs) Yeah. Like like, I want to digitally de-aged Harrison Ford. Yeah, or 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 freaking Alden Ehrenreich coming in. Oh, that's right. (laughs) I completely forgot they made a whole movie with it. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, none of that happens. So, um, or so I guess an aged-up Alden Ehrenreich, because the series is supposed to take place after the events of uh, Return of the Jedi. Ah, uh, there's a scene in Mandalorian where he's like tries to get paid in Empire credits. And he's like, "Haven't you heard? <laughs> the Empire isn't <laughs> it's no good anymore." Yeah. Um, so that's that's when it takes places. Um, but nothing nothing major. You know, it's a television series. Really, it's it's like oh, there's a little something that happens at the very end that will drive the plot forward, but. I, it feels like it's a show for Star Wars diehards in the sense that like you're going around. It's like ooh that that deep cut, that piece of lore, that thing. Like it's the episode was directed by Dave Filoni, who is like you know the nerdiest of Star Wars nerds, and people love him. And like that's all well and good. Like he's the guy behind Clone Wars and Rebels, and like he knows his stuff, obviously. And John Favreau wrote the script, and like it feels like this is like for people that have really wanted like star Wars to go deep in a way that is unexpected, this is what you got. Um, deep in
1: like lore and mythology and stuff. Exactly. Not, not like thematically,
0: not thematically or characters or narrative, but like, Oh, I recognize that alien species. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's what I know what a disc is. I know what a tracking device, I know what these tracking devices are. I know what these kind of credits are like a bunch of nods to like, if you've read a bunch of extended universe crap, this is what you get. (laughs) And, but like, as a show, I'm like, this is a bad show. I'll say like this, maybe it gets better, but as a pilot for me, what a pilot has to do. No, like for a drama series, comedies, you give a little more leeway to because you're trying to find that comic rhythm. But for a drama series, you have to tell me what the core central narrative tension is between your protagonist and the story. So the problem with the Mandalorian is, is it wants to be in the mold of Boba Fett who, you know, Boba Fett notoriously taciturn. And so they're like, well, what if we have a character who doesn't talk very much but we'll make it like a Western. So it'll be kind of like the man with no name. But the thing about the man with no name is that he still has a very strong narrative drive surrounding him. And this is just like go bounty hunting. (laughs) And that's not good enough. And it's especially not good enough when, you know, you have this character and you don't really know why you're supposed to care about him for, for, I mean, I assume all these episodes will be half an hour long. So over the course of four hours, why is that? Why should we care about this guy? And there's like a brief flashback to what appears to be a traumatic childhood. Um, But really what you should be setting up is like, this is what the character believes and this is how it's going to be undermined. And Mandalorian doesn't do that. It's like this, this is sort of what's my fear is like people like Boba Fett because like he's cool, but he's not cool. (laughs) He's just, he's a doofus bounty hunter who like, You know, he'd say no disintegrations. Ah, he's such a badass. But like, no, it's just whatever. He's he's a guy. He doesn't talk very much. And he's a bounty hunter. And your mind fills in the rest. But nothing has actually been written. Uh, And again, I don't count extended universe stuff. I'm sorry. I don't. If you love it, good for you. But the rest of us are about the movies and, you know, the main stuff, (laughs) the main the main releases, not like, did you read this book that <laughs> that was released? You know, like, no, I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, you know, with Mandalorian, I feel like it's failed already. It's sort of central test of like, do I care about this character? And the answer is, is I don't. So all that's left is, do you care about the Star Wars world? And I guess the answer is kind of, I guess. Yeah, yeah it's
1: uh, I, I, I my fiance like, woke up way after me and she was like how is it and she's a huge star wars fan. star wars fan and i was like it's fine it's fine and as i kept talking i was like no maybe it's not good i don't know it's like it's a star wars show but i think you're right there's nothing it's not a good pilot it doesn't There's nothing character wise to hook you in. And I think what we have here is possibly like a Star Wars show made for a different kind of Star Wars fan. Like Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau are those nerds who are super, and I don't say nerd as a derogatory, but like they're the people who know all the ins and outs of the Star Wars universe of the mythology. They've read the EU. They, you know, created clone wars and uh, follow all of that stuff. And have followed all the in-betweens and they are really interested in all the stuff that happened in between the movies and the mythology that was built out through all that expanded universe and the comics and whatever. Um, and that's fine. I think that there are clearly a lot of Star Wars fans like that who really love to pour over, like who get really excited in the new Star Wars movies when there's like a visual reference or something to something from the old movies or, um, you know, a character or a race of species that was only ever expanded upon in the expanded universe novels. Um, and that's just not me. And I I'd, like Star Wars is not has never been one of my favorite franchises. It's not something that I'm a diehard for anyway. Um let alone someone who's like super interested in the nitty-gritty details of the mythology and the worlds. So when I watch The Mandalorian, I don't know what that ships from. I don't know what species that is. Like I recognize the rat looking dude from Jabba's Palace, uh, I think. Or was it the Cantina that No, it's
0: Jabba's Palace. It's Salacious Crumb.
1: Okay. Yeah, you're a fucking nerd. Yep. <laughs> but like, that's how I watch this. And, you know, if this show is supposed to be the anchor for disney Plus's um streaming service the way that the morning show was supposed to be the anchor for apple tv plus and the way that uh house of cards was kind of accidentally the anchor for netflix but not really um i don't think it succeeds very well and i was listening to the watch podcast the ringer podcast and annie greenwald said something interesting and in that you know he was talking about the anchor they were talking about the morning show um which has gotten really divisive reviews and um you can't really pick your flagship series. Uh, so, like House of Cards was designed to be the flagship series of Netflix, and like it was popular. But Orange is the New Black was actually the show that year that really broke out in a way that that Netflix didn't really expect. And then a year after that, Stranger Things, which they definitely did not expect Stranger Things to break out. So you know, you're you make good shows hopefully, and then your breakout will um, surface. And it feels like the Mandalorian is made for people who are super duper into Star Wars and not really people who just kind of casually enjoy the movies. But then beyond that, it also feels kind of like really tame and really toothless. Like there is one scene where someone gets chopped in half, but it's way off screen. And then other than that, like there's a a whole sequence where the Mandalorian is like trying to ride like a creature and it's like played for comedy which is the tone of the Star Wars franchise. Like the, the, you know, George Lucas has said over and over again, he made those movies for kids. Um, but I was reminded of the fact that Disney Plus is a streaming service that most, a ton of families are going to use. And a lot of kids are going to watch. And so this is a show that's not supposed to be like Game of Thrones level dark. Um, it's supposed to, you know, you could almost feel those beats in those moments of like, oh, here's the levity that will make the kids laugh. And, you know, here's the intriguing, you know, droid that's going to make people laugh. I don't know. It just felt fine.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I, I look at the Mandalorian and I see the idea of it. And the idea of it is like that Star Wars Western you've been waiting for. Yeah. That, you know, and that way to dive into the world that, you, that, that beyond the Skywalker Saga. Because even with, you know, Rogue One and uh, Solo, those are still tied into the Skywalker Saga. Um, they didn't venture too far afield. This is the first time in in a visual like you know, outside of comics and and books and things like that um and video games that you really get to sort of dive into what is this Star Wars world look like outside far away from the Skywalkers. and, the problem is, is that if they think at the end, they're resting too much on their laurels, like it's Star Wars, it's the first TV show, it's, you know, it's all these deep cuts, and they're not telling, again, this is only one episode, but it's a kind of an important episode, is they're not telling us, why should you care? And yeah. that's a problem, that's a problem now, and I think the fact that they don't tell you why you should care is also a bit telling, because it assumes you'll care because Star Wars, and I don't think that's good enough. I don't think because Star Wars is ever good enough. Um, and I think the prequels are kind of a testament to that. <laughs> You'll show up because Star Wars. Um, I think you need to have a strong story. And so far Mandalorian doesn't have it. I mean for for a half hour episode all that happens is is like he does a job. He gets paid. He gets a new job. Goes to the place. Finds a thing. And I get it. It's only half an hour but there's no character development in there. And there's nothing really to tell me who this character is other than a brief
1: flash. And that's the main problem, is that like I have no reason to care about what this character cares about. Because I don't know who he is. I don't know what he wants. Like, he's a bounty hunter. He kills people. There's a brief flashback, but that's not enough. A brief flashback just hints at possible empathy within him. Um, And then he makes a choice at the end of the episode that it's, uh, I guess, surprising. But, like, I, I don't... I don't care about him in the way that, and it, it's it's an unfair comparison, but I was thinking a lot about Watchmen while watching this and how well that show sets up these intriguing, like every scene, there's something that is not fully explained. Almost every scene, there's something that's not fully explained, but it's written so well that you both really want to know and like find out what it means, but you're also really satisfied by the scene that you're currently watching and them discussing this thing. And it makes you want to keep watching. And that pilot really sets up Sister Knight and what she cares about and who she is and what she believes. Uh, so you're really on board with this protagonist. Um, and I don't know, I don't know why that show kept popping up into my head, but the Mandalorian seemed to be hinting at things that will be answered further down the road in the season. Um, like that, you know, brick from the Empire and why they're melting it down and using it as his armor. Although maybe that's in lore, I don't know. That's the problem. Like I'm watching that scene, and I'm like, "Is this supposed to be a mystery? Are we supposed to wonder why they're melting this down and using it for armor, or is this a thing that everyone knows from the EU or from the
0: Clone Wars or something like that?" I have no idea. Right, and you know, I get it. Like, it's not. It must be nice, like, if you're a diehard Star Wars fan, to finally have something for you. I guess. Like, it's it's weird. Like, I don't even. Again, like, it is. I think I do.
1: I do think that's fair, because I do think that, I mean, I, I think that the feature films have by and large, I mean, I don't know, I don't think people quote unquote deserve things, but I do think that the feature films do not dig into any of that lore in any significant capacity, which I'm perfectly fine with, and I think is uh, the
0: correct. Decision. I would just say that, like, as a Star Wars fan, you're, it's not like the market is not serving you. Is my was my point? <laughs> well, they want not... to see
1: it at the big kids table, and they haven't gotten one. And this is kind they of
0: they oh, they got. What do you mean to see the big kids table? It's always been the big kids table. It's one of the most popular franchises of all time. Well, no, I, I meant the like they the, want like... the visual. They want the visual medium for their deep cut stuff. Is what you're
1: saying? Yeah, they want like the big showcase things which are the movies and now the tv shows to acknowledge that that stuff matters and when you have people like jj abrams and ryan johnson and kathleen kennedy saying the eu i don't care about the eu or i have never read the eu i think that's offensive to those people and it upsets them because they deeply care about it and so here comes people within lucasfilm who do care about the eu and that kind of stuff and they're making a show for them which and i'm fine with that because i don't need another star wars like i don't need another tv show to care about let alone a star wars tv show to care about so i will continue watching the season uh because it's my job and i'm you know somewhat intrigued to find out what happens but i'm perfectly fine being like you know what this is not for me
0: i would just say that like maybe this like I would say just to counter that, even if this is what you've been waiting for, you're not getting the best You're not getting what you deserve because if all you are, you all, all you want is a collection of lore references. Like, ah, I recognize that thing. You deserve better. You deserve a good story. And Mandalorian isn't giving it to you. Like you can be like, ah, I know yeah. what that metal is. And ah, I know what that species is. And ah, I know what this is. And that's all well and good. And like, it's nice to recognize the thing and to be captain America saying, I understood that reference. but that's a collection of references is not a show contrary to what stranger things would have you believe. So it's, you need a plot, you need characters worth caring about. And so far uh, Mandalorian doesn't have it. So we'll see how it develops. The next episode drops on Friday. Um, I'll watch because again, it's, it's my job, but you know, <laughs> if I sound salty, it's because I had to get up early for this. And well, that's the other thing. It's a disservice
1: to like if they had given critics this episode to watch on Friday and given people the weekend to like leisurely watch it and then chew on like a really good review. I think that would have been better. And it's, I think it's, it's foolish to say that getting up at the crack of dawn to watch this show that you may or may not have even been excited about. Um, doesn't matter it does matter it colors somewhat your viewing experience like if you're going to go see uh the irishman but you're running on like one hour of sleep and your girlfriend just broke up with you you're not going to be experiencing that movie in 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 a manner in which you know you're going to be able to lose yourself in in the film or maybe you are but i think experiences matter and it's just a bummer that disney plus uh decided to to do it this way
0: they made it needlessly difficult and again if this had been to cover some massive spoiler I would have been somewhat more sympathetic, but there is no yeah. spoiler. There just isn't. Yeah, a thing happens
1: at the end, and I was like, what? I am I supposed to understand who this is or what's going on? Which, again, might be a lore thing. Who knows? Might be a lore thing. Who knows? It's, I don't know. It's fine. I will say the score is fantastic by Ludwig Göransson,
0: and, you know, it looks nice. Really? I was kind of let down by the score. I kept looking for, like, a main theme to latch onto, and I can't, couldn't find it.
1: I mean, again, it's not Watchmen, which is just the one of the <laughs> best scores of the year. It's so good. Uh, if you need something to like drive around to, drive around a Sister Night's theme. Um, yeah. But uh, I liked that it was very different. Like John Williams is Star Wars, and I kind of liked that this was just a radically different mm-hmm. oral soundscape for um, the franchise. Like it, you know, it was a little weird. It was a little. Uh, edgier.
0: Yeah, I like that it was different. I just wanted sort of like what is the Mandalorian theme, and I think it's kind of ironic that I don't know what this character is, and I don't want to know what his music is either. His theme is he's doing the best he can because
1: he's, he's in Boba best Fett.
0: Team. Man. yeah oh man if he's boba fett of course he's fucking boba fett although you know, people were like what i saw a tour like why would you hire pedro pascal but put him in a in a mask and i was like well a he's a good actor and b they have to wear the mask because all like you know he's boba fett <laughs> unless you want to say that like he's a clone in which case he's tamura morrison it doesn't matter who cares going down the rabbit hole
1: yeah i uh, here's what would fa- i mean the reaction does seem to be a little bit divisive like they, it's not like and when i watched it and then when i was thinking about it like i had literally read no reactions i had no idea what anyone thought about yeah, it i didn't
0: read any i didn't go on twitter i just turned it on and gave it a watch
1: yeah and so like talking to you you were not a fan of it dave really liked it dave Trumbore, um tom reinman uh likes it a lot uh both collider writers um but then other people were like yeah this is bad so i'll be curious to see what the overall fan community reaction is to it it's also so strange that it's only like 38 minutes long that was surprising as much money
0: like why would you not make an hour-long draw like just what what the hell disney you're cheaping out on me now sort of television like
1: yeah i don't know it's that was strange
0: yeah so we'll see um but, uh, yeah, so far, eh, you know, it's it's fine. I, I don't I mean, I thought the pilot was bad, but not so bad that I'm like, I won't see Friday's episode. I yeah, will not, not up disaster. at 6 a.m. to watch Friday's episode. I don't give a shit what you pay me. I won't do it. <laughs> I'm not yeah. doing that. But, uh, yeah, I'll watch it. Yeah, it's uh, it's fine. Yeah. Um, OK, uh, so let's talk a little bit about Disney Plus, though. So that launched today as well. And I think as a service and I wrote about, you know, is it worth it? And I think, yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> and I get it that like, well, is it worth it when I'm paying, you know, this for Netflix and this for Amazon and this for Hulu? And I'm like, yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> it's Disney. <laughs> like, I mean, I get that Disney is like, a you know, corporate overlords, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is they have a great library of films that'll that no one else has. Like, you're not going to find uh the star wars, you know, saga on any other streaming service. You're just not. It's only on Disney Plus. And that goes for, you know, deep cut Disney classic films. The Pixar part is a little thin right now, but those will be there. Um like it matters. And at 6.99, like yeah, it's a price to undercut their competition, but you know what? I'll pay it. That's the you know, I I just feel like it's a good price for a service that offers a lot, um, and my my issues with it are relatively small. In fact, my biggest issue with it, honestly, is that The Simpsons is not in the proper aspect ratio. It's being I went I watched an episode from season two, and when The Simpsons aired, it was in four three because that's what televisions were in. Mm -hmm. um but they've resized it to fit widescreen dimensions rather than Uh, just putting black bars on the side of the screen to make the aspect ratio right and that's a problem because the simpsons relies on sight gags and it's not like oh the simpsons isn't funny now but there are sight gags that matter and now you just don't get them
1: interesting yeah i was wondering about that um because they... And it makes me
0: wonder about like other old television shows that like might end up there or like how that's all going to play out. Because and also it's not that they're opposed to putting black bars on the screen. Mandalorian has black bars for its aspect ratio. So yeah. that's that's not it's not like, oh, everything is going to fit your screen on on Disney Plus. They made a choice with The Simpsons. Yeah, well,
1: and uh, The Simpsons was already like that for FXX. So I wonder if they just used that remastered version of I think, it. I think right. And there doesn't exist a digitized... I mean, there has to ex- I mean, I
0: don't know. We're no, not no, no. The, know I kids. mean, it does. That that digitized version exists on DVD. If you have the DVD, mm. you'll see it in the proper aspect ratio.
1: Yeah. Well, and they do the same thing to Friends, which is uh, live action, obviously, but it's a three-camera sitcom. And because... So if, if you watch Friends on cable or on Netflix, I'm about to ruin the experience for you, and I apologize because um, you cannot unsee this. But... Um, if you watch it on netflix on cable where they have widescreened it out so um the episodes were shot using a camera that shows full widescreen so they're not having to blow up the image but uh, all of the framing and blocking for each scene is in that 4-3 aspect ratio. So if you're watching it, you'll notice that the characters do not appear where those black bars would be. So uh, you can't unsee it. Like, every time you're watching it in widescreen, things are only happening in that 4-3 aspect ratio because they're having to stay in frame uh, for certain shots and stuff. But they're, that also ran into issues because sometimes they would just cheat and hide like a piece of a set or a boom mic or something on the sides, um, which I think you can see in some of the um, and that's the reason I didn't buy Friends on Blu-ray be, was because, number one, all the versions of the episodes were that widescreen. And number two, they were not the extended version of the episodes that I had come to, like, know and memorize from watching the DVDs for years. Because um, the DVD versions of Friends are uh, just de facto the extended episode of, extended version of every single episode. So they're jokes that don't appear on uh the blu-ray and like netflix versions of that show this was a very long tangent on friends which is not on disney plus uh, <laughs>
0: save that for the hbo max podcast yeah
1: that's for the hbo max podcast but i was curious about that and and you know the other big change we noticed today was that uh they made uh, for whatever fucking reason they changed the han and Greedo scene in uh, a new hope again although it was george lucas that did it this time uh
0: yeah i mean you know, it's funny, he changed it, but it felt like an an additional fuck you, even though the word is funny, McGlunky. <laughs> but it felt like he's like, no, no, oh, 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 you want me to change it. You want me to change it <laughs> so that Han shoots first. Well, guess what? I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna change another thing that you didn't ask for. Ha ha ha, George. Out. Yeah, McGlunky. Um, so but yeah, there's just and I'm sure other things will come up. Um, but you know, it's you know, there are extras like Avengers Endgame has the deleted scene with uh, where Tony meets his adult daughter. Um, and you know, it has
1: the, audio commentaries, which is something that Netflix does not do and it infuriates me to no end. But uh, and I haven't thumbed around with it. Maybe you can answer this. Do did you notice any of the other movies having audio commentaries on there?
0: I didn't get I didn't get that deep into it. Yeah. Um, but the fact is is that the 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 capability is there. And yeah. hopefully they make use of it. Like hopefully they are like extras should be a thing on this programming because it gives people another incentive to to subscribe to our service. Yeah. Um, but I felt like overall, like the, the interface was great. I like that it has, you can have different set up different profiles for people you can have, uh, you can download content for offline viewing, like stuff that should be standard now, uh, Disney plus has it. So I think that that's, that's great. Um, and, and again, the library is there. So for 699 a month, yeah. And especially if you have kids, um, this is, this is a, a, a slam dunk of a streaming service. It also
1: tells you when things are coming like right now if you search john carter um which we did a whole podcast on because we like john carter uh you go to a page that has john carter and it says coming soon to disney plus due to existing agreements this title will be available on may 2nd 2020 um and they do that for a bunch of things like adventures and babysitting it says it'll be there in like june 2020 so uh i saw some people complaining that they have pages up for movies that aren't there but i like knowing that like oh this is specifically when I can watch this.
0: Yeah. And also why it's not there. Like, it's yeah, not like they just decided to it. fuck you. It's not <laughs> decided they decided to fuck you over. It's because they signed a contract, yeah. you know? Yeah, so, so, sorry. And, and also, if you want the movie that badly, just go out and fucking buy it. <laughs> just buy the thing.
1: No, I'm looking at uh, Iron Man 3 right now and the extras. Unfortunately, they don't have the audio commentary, which was... Is what i was looking for because that shane black audio commentary is super candid and honest about the marvel experience but it does have like three deleted scenes and two like outtakes and bloopers mm-hmm. so it seems like you know they're gonna have a little something for some of these movies which
0: i uh, like I, I like also that it's not the full uh, the full assortment of bonus features because that's that way it's not a slap in the face to people who bought the physical release. exactly
1: yeah yeah and now i can you know have my blu-ray that i can pop into uh listen to that audio commentary but it's just another because that's something that like so i know that the first season of house of cards they let fincher do an audio commentary for the first two episodes that he directed uh and then after that they just stopped doing audio commentaries which just killed me um because i mean if you're
0: really doesn't like the the bonus to to offer anything but like it's so weird like they'll release their stuff onto onto physical media but it'll have no special features i think you can buy Daredevil season one, like on Blu-ray, but it has nothing.
1: I don't, yeah, I don't understand it. And they started doing more things, but they released them as like Twitter videos, which is so strange to me, because that's really not easy to search or find. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, that's a plus that's a plus one for Disney plus in that column there versus
0: Netflix. Yeah. So um, here, I'll have a question. I actually have a question for you. Yeah. I haven't signed up for Apple Plus because I think it looks stupid. <laughs> yes. Is its is it? How is it? I
1: do not have Apple TV Plus. Oh, uh, I thought
0: you did because you were watching the morning show.
1: So I have a press account uh, and I have been watching the morning show that way. But I have not messed around with the Apple TV Plus interface. Haley has. Um, and she wrote about that a little bit. Um, but... I Like, Apple TV Plus just seems like the biggest... It's more expensive than Disney and yet has so much less It's
0: not content. more expensive. It's $4, it $4. Oh, $4. 4 a month. But why would you pay $5 a month for essentially five shows that apparently none of them are slam dunks?
1: Well, and if you only like two of those shows and they release one episode a week, you're paying, like, just for two shows for, what, like, eight episodes? $5
0: for eight episodes a month? That's just...
1: Yeah. I don't the, understand
0: that. Doesn't seem like a good investment. Which again, where again, like, look, and look, if Disney Plus launched and it was just new series, like it was just Disney originals, so just Mandalorian and just, you know, Jeff Noel, Gold- <laughs> Noel and Lady in the Tramp and shit. Like if it was just that, I'd be like, okay, six ninety-nine a month is questionable. Yeah. But it's you get the whole Disney library. <laughs> like yeah. they you know, like I'm pissed off that they bought Fox, but this is what they paid for. You know, this is, and so they brought it to you, the consumer, and now six ninety nine dollars a month, that's a good deal to be able to be like, I'll watch, you know, I can subscribe to Disney Plus and I'll have Home Alone for the holidays and shit.
1: Well, especially that bundle, I mean, we have Hulu, and we're just gonna go ahead and bundle it with Disney plus for twelve ninety nine a month yeah which... we get those ads though, yeah, but I mean, I don't watch enough Hulu for it to bother me, like uh-huh. we watch Veronica Mars, and you know I'll watch Rick and Morty every now and then, but I don't religiously watch Hulu to the point that the ads would get unbearable.
0: So. It got unbearable for me watching Hulu when I was like I was catching up on Hannibal, and like every, uh, yeah. every commercial break, you get the same three ads. It, it just drives you insane. Yikes. So. Well, I have that to look forward to. So. You do. Um, so yeah, I uh I, I think that Disney Plus is a solid investment. Um I, I, I am curious to see how its originals develop. Um, but as far as a content library goes, it's very it's it is a good buy, especially if you have kids. That's that's yeah, like... and, it,
1: and it does seem they do have ways to go on that original front and i know that this was you know disney plus was announced what like a year and a half ago two years ago um but it really wasn't a ton of time to get everything ready for it no. so like the imagineering story is a docuseries about imagineers and the creation of the theme parks which i liked a lot um but it was originally supposed to be a 90 minute documentary feature and it was just expanded to docu series length for disney plus uh you know high school musical the musical the series the reviews on that haven't been super great um one of the shows is just like pixar cosplay that's all yeah (laughs) Yeah. which is like what and some of these shows are uh they were not meant to be shows they were meant to be blu-ray extras i can say that much uh and they were repurposed to be shows so disney was kind of buffing up um its library with things that weren't supposed to be tv shows um and presenting them as original tv shows so i think within a year we'll hopefully start to see and you know as disney plus sees how these originals perform they're gonna have their own internal metrics that'll tell them what's a hit and what's not and we'll see them lean into or out of certain things so that'll be interesting to see
0: yeah no it'll be interesting to see how it goes and i mean and also you know they have the stuff they have on the right of the horizon, the Marvel stuff, I think will, as far as an original goes, like, I think that's worth sticking around for. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a, huge. I think it's a solid bet because on the one hand, while I'm curious to see how Kevin Feige, ha- like, I'm actually not that worried about the Marvel shows because a, the Marvel cinematic universe is basically already a TV show. And secondly, like all of these shows are based on characters. You already know, like there's no, like if, if you notice like, yeah, they are doing, yeah, they're doing moon night and she Hulk and, um, miss marvel but the shows that they're leading with are the characters you already know so you're already invested in these in these characters and you want to see what happens to them yeah yeah for sure so uh i'm excited i'm excited to see where it goes
1: yeah me too i uh i'm impressed i'm exhausted and tired and mad about the mandalorian still but uh it's a solid streaming service and listeners know we're not gonna we're not one to kind of bullshit you here when it comes to disney or anything like that
0: so. yeah we're not like diehard disney like you know disney people but like it's a good service it is what it is
1: yeah our, our checks from disney cleared this week so we can be positive about them now
0: yeah but if they don't oh so help me
1: gonna, gonna
0: start talking shit about
1: disney plus
0: yeah all right um so uh, let, let's let talk a little bit about Doctor Sleep. <laughs> A movie um,
1: no one saw.
0: No, no one saw. So I won't spoil anything about it. But you know what's what's fa- what was fascinating to me about Doctor Sleep is that not the film. The film itself is fine. I I was entertained by it. Um, it's not The Shining. It was probably never gonna be The Shining. It has to walk a different type, a difficult type rope between being loyal to the book and loyal to the movie. And um, I think Mike Flanagan is is a talented director. But what what I find curious about Dr. Sleep is that it's all about the IP like Warner brothers. They invested like this movie was expensive. It was two and a half hours and Warner brothers is like, yeah, but it's the shining IP and people love the shining. So it's going to be a hit. In fact, we don't even need to, we can sell. It's going to be such a hit. We can sell it as a horror film, which it's really not. It's not a horror film. Uh, We can sell it as that, uh, but not release it before. Halloween when people would actually be looking for what we're selling. That's how confident we are in Dr. Sleep. And I think that that constant faith in IP is a really bad idea, but it is also kind of the only idea that studios have right now, because if you're a studio executive and what you're choosing to green light, you have to, justify that to your shareholders. You have to be like, you can't go in there and be like, I justify, I greenlit a bunch of stuff from a bunch of nobodies based on nothing other than I liked the scripts. That shit ain't going to fly. But if you can be like, I greenlit Dr. Sleep based on the best-selling novel by Stephen King from the director of Haunting of Hill House starring Ewan McGregor. And it's the sequel to the shining, which is one of the biggest horror films of all time. Then you can be like, Hey, yeah, the movie flopped, but I didn't know it was going to flop because look, look at all it had going for it. So IP becomes very valuable. You've seen that again and again, where yes, the biggest films of the year are all rooted in IP, but IP, because everything is now IP, and for those who keep wondering, what the fuck is IP? Intellectual property. I just don't want to keep saying intellectual property. (laughs) Um, For those, uh, you know, everything has to be IP, but when everything is IP, then it's harder to stand out. Then it matters less. So it's it's this weird thing that is both essential and yet, and, and essential from the standpoint of like a studio greenlighting something, and yet it will not automatically just draw people in because, you know, oh, if I don't see the Shining thing, well, you know what? Next week I've got Charlie's Angels, you know? I've got that IP to see. Or the week before, you know, I've got, oh gosh, gosh, I have a, what came out? I'm trying to think. It was, oh, Terminator. No, we, yeah. there, was a new a new there was a new terminator movie folks <laughs> and, and it was pretty good and, and it also flopped because everything is ip so that's just sort of what stood out to me about dr sleep yeah i
1: think you're right i mean if if everything is ip then what then you're you're just leveling the playing field again because if the point of ip was that like oh we have a leg up because it already is known by audiences um If everything is IP, then it just becomes like, okay, well, which of these known things do I care about more? And because this sort of thing has been going on for so long, you know, this is the second Terminator reboot in what, four years that we're on the third Spider-Man and what, six years. Um, It just keeps going. And so people stop paying attention. Things stop being new. Uh, In the case of Dr. Sleep though, I don't know. It's, I do wonder if kids actually care or know about or have even seen The Shining, because it feels like they were leaning really hard onto like, oh, this is the sequel to The Shining. And I was pretty intrigued by that. But like, it's The Shining. The Shining's not on, I don't think it's on Netflix anymore. Maybe it was. Um, but it's a weird fucking movie. Like, it's an art house horror film, essentially. Uh, it's not a, you know, uh, you know, Blumhouse makes pretty fun horror movies but they all you know you know the premise within five to ten minutes of it starting and there's a pretty good jump scare within the first 10 to 15 minutes of it starting that's kind of how modern horror films go uh or at least the kind of commercial ones Uh, people like Ari Aster are still making movies that fuck you up in different ways um but The Shining is not that kind of movie it's a slow slow burn um about madness and I just don't know if People cared enough about The Shining in order to be excited about Dr. Sleep. And then if you add in the fact that the trailers didn't really look scary, which I think is kind of uh, one of the main reasons that horror movies do so well, it's just general audiences looking to be scared. Um, I don't really think a movie looks scary. It looked good, but it didn't look scary. So
0: It's funny. War Brothers made the exact same mistake they made two years ago with Blade Runner. And Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049, they're like, oh, this will be, you know, we can dump a bunch of money into this and this will be a huge hit because, like, the original is this beloved classic. And they didn't realize, like, yeah, but just because something is a beloved classic doesn't mean that younger audiences or or mainstream audiences know what the fuck it is. And you're not giving them an opportunity to get on board. Like, that's the other thing. Like, if Warner Brothers was serious about this shit. They need to, like, both those films, like, fail on a central assumption. The central assumption is that because the original is a classic, everyone has seen it, therefore people will see the sequel. And that's just not the case. And I think, you know, why Warner Brothers didn't make an effort to re-release Blade Runner or re-release The Shining to make these more of an event is sort of baffling. I think it's just they again, they assumed that a certain fan base was there. And I don't know what their market research is telling them. Um, And again, maybe they maybe they're just like the IP is good enough. But whatever it is, I think even if you wanted to be on board with Blade Runner 2049 or the or Dr. Sleep, if you don't have a connection to that original film, you're like, well, why do I want to see the sequel? A sequel that takes place 30 years later.
1: I mean, if I'm being entirely honest, the main reason I was excited for Dr. Sleep was Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I've, you know, I think Oculus is really cool. His Ouija movie was really good. Uh, I love The Hunting of the Hill House. And so that was the big draw for me. And the the also, let's be honest, Dr. Sleep didn't look like The Shining. Like it, Like Blade Runner 2049 kind of looked like Blade Runner. But this movie did not really look like The Shining. And then you had, like, the whole, like, oh, it's bridging the gap between Stephen King's book and Stanley Kubrick's film. And I just think about, like, a 17-year-old who likes horror movies or, you know, enjoys going to the movies every now and again with their friends. And, like, do they care about Stephen King? Do they know who Stanley Kubrick is? Do they know that there are differences between The Shining book and movie? Like, it just, I think it was maybe just, you know, they just didn't think about it. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't I, think about it.
0: I again like and, and we've seen IP kind of falter and fall all throughout the year. It's just it's not this kind of amazing thing where like, oh well, you know, I will because, you know, like you said, when everything is IP, it, it it ceases to to provide you a leg up. And if you're someone who's like, well, do I wanna pay fifteen dollars to see the sequel to a film I haven't seen? And it, also this new film is two and a half hours. And it's called Dr. Sleep. And I don't really, it's something having to do with The Shining, which I don't know what that is other than a movie that stars that the guy who played the Joker. Like, I don't, like, if you, you, you don't, it, I don't think, I think Warner Brothers, is like, oh, it sells itself. And it's like, no, it doesn't sell itself. And you just, um, I'm, you know, in retrospect, it's like, of course this flopped because maybe IP isn't everything. And if you're really, and if you're, if you're so bent on making a sequel, You have to, like, I think the studios might be in this mindset where they're just like, well, you know, we can release a star, like, they released The Force Awakens, and everyone went to go see The Force Awakens, and that's a sequel, that's a sequel, and it's like, yeah, but Star Wars is a cultural phenomenon and a, a, you know, a shorthand, you know, like and star Wars is also, you can raise someone on star Wars. Like you can get a little kid to watch star Wars, the original trilogy. You can buy them toys. You can show them the cartoon. Like you can be like a, a star Wars kid. You can't be a shining kid. Yeah. Um, you don't probably want to be a shining kid in all <laughs> honesty. Um, I got my Jack Nicholson. I, action <laughs> Here's um, <daddy>. Yeah. <laughs> pull the string with ax chopping action. Um, so like it, you just, I think, you know, I get why, why IP is so relied upon, but I don't think studios are looking at the bigger picture. Like for instance, Men in Black International flopped, but it's like, okay, so who likes Men in Black? Well, people who saw it in the nineties. Okay. But it doesn't have the people, like, it doesn't really have, like people, the reason people liked it wasn't like, boy, I love aliens and secret societies or secret government agencies. It's like, I like Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones okay, well, we don't have that, but we do have Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. I'm like, well, I, I kind of like them, but I don't, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I don't like, I don't know if I like them enough to be like, I also would like to see a new Men in Black film because it's 2019. Yeah. You know, like this notion of like, well, it's, the IP is good enough. I don't think is, is sort of the saving grace that, that studios think it is. And yet, again, what is their alternative? Their alternative would be, here's a thing that I have to justify to shareholders. And if they're like, why did you make this? I could lose my job and I don't want to lose my job. So I have to keep making things that were, even if they fail, I can at least point to it and be like, this was going to be a success because X, Y, and Z, um, And you have to, because there are no, like movie stars can't open a film anymore. Like that doesn't really happen. So you have to make it about the IP and, you know, not all IP is created equal.
1: Yeah. Uh, And then they look around and they're like, well, what else can we make? Oh, we don't make mid-budget dramas anymore. Does anyone know how to do that? Not really. So and then we're left with Disney plus.
0: Right. That's the other aspect to it is that they're. There's so much now, there's also so much more competition. Like it used to be like, if you want a movie, you got to go to the movies or you can go to a blockbuster, but those are really your only two options. And now there are so many more options for your entertainment. So, you know, you have to make some, like the IP at least is safe and recognizable. So you can be like, at least I can, I sold the people who like the shining on Dr. Sleep. There weren't as many of them as I thought there would be. But I sold those people rather than being like, I made a completely new thing out of, you know, from scratch. Boy, I hope people like it, (laughs) you know, and, and and look, look, I mean, The Shining itself was an adaptation, you know, like there was, it's not like, oh, before the days of IP, but obviously it, IP is everything now. Like I think all top 10 highest grossing films are adaptations of some sort. Yeah. Um, So You know, that shit matters and I get because it's also comforting to the audience. Like if I'm going to take the time I want, if I'm an audience member and my time and money is valuable, I don't want to take a risk. I want to, I want something that I know will be what I expected. I don't want something that that might disappoint me. So if I'm not familiar with The Shining, I'm not going to take a chance on Dr. Sleep, but I'll, you know, I'll, you know, next week I'll go see Frozen 2 because I liked the first Frozen.
1: Yeah, and what's interesting here is that, uh, you know, and I haven't read Dr. Sleep, but I, I did have to do some research into the book uh, to write a piece about the ending of it. Um, Mike Flanagan's adaptation is pretty different. Like, he makes some very radical changes, especially to the ending. So, you know, the, the funny thing here is that, you know, it seems like people may have ignored it because of its IP. Um, but in reality, Flanagan made something that was kind
0: of his own. Yeah. So um, as for the film itself, I, again, I find it very entertaining. It's not really a horror film, but um, I would say, give it a shot. Um, I know it feels like we've talked around it a bit, but again, not many people see it, saw it. So I don't want to kind of ruin anything, Um, but I'd say it's worth checking out. Yeah. I,
1: uh, I liked it a lot. I thought that I just really liked Flanagan's visual style. um, And I thought he had a really good visual handle on it. I honestly thought the shining parts of it were the least interesting aspects of it. But I did like how it kind of married the material between Stephen King's book and Stanley Kubrick's movie. Um, And Rebecca Ferguson is just fantastic. She's She's one of the best actresses working today.
0: She really is. She's Um, so
1: good in this movie.
0: Yeah. So, um, Doctor Sleep, check it out. Um, I'm sure Warner Brothers would be happy if you did. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, let's move on to, to Recently Watched. What have you seen lately?
1: Um so getting into the festive spirit, my fiance and I watched the Netflix Christmas movie Let It Snow over the weekend. Uh and it's pretty good actually. It's uh it's not one of those like Hallmark channel-esque Netflix Christmas movies. It's it's a real movie. Uh it was uh it's an adaptation of a of a YA book that was uh the book was actually written by three different famous ya authors maureen johnson john green and lauren miracle and it was kind of an anthology telling these separate stories that all took place on the same day in the same town um it's christmas eve and uh you know it's kind of uh i can't remember where i think it's like ohio or something like that some kind of midwest end i don't know it's fairly small um and you have these separate stories you have uh this guy and this girl, the girls played by Kiernan and Shipka, who have been best friends since childhood, and he's realized that he's in love with her. And it's the kind of friend zone thing. And uh, a third uh, aspect gets thrown into the mix there. You have Shamik Moore uh, from Dope, and who's the voice of Miles Morales in Spider-Man Into the Vi- Spider-Verse, is like a famous uh, kind of like pop hip-hop star who gets stranded and strikes up a friendship with uh, a, a young girl named, uh, played by Isabel Merced. Um, who is Dora from the Dora the Explorer movie. Um, And, you know, she couldn't care less about who he is. And uh, they kind of strike up their own relationship. Um, There's an LGBTQ storyline. Jacob Batalon plays uh, like a Waffle House employee who's trying to throw this party at the Waffle House. And it's like snowing like crazy all day long. So it's just like these kids, like these teens, you know, uh, in their various relationships and whatever on Christmas Eve. And, uh, you know, that could easily be super duper cheesy. And at times it is. And it's fairly formulaic. But I thought it was really handsomely directed uh, by this guy named Luke Snellen. This is his uh, feature directorial debut. Um, And the screenplay was by Laura Salon uh, and Kay Cannon, who did Blockers, and uh, Victoria Strauss, who I believe uh, wrote on a couple Pixar movies. Um, So I don't know. I just thought it, it all came together pretty well. And it's just this really sweet, charming christmas movie um for teens so like teen focused but uh i don't know it's pretty fun if you're into that sort of thing that kind of feel good christmas movie and you don't really want to watch something that's just going to make you roll your eyes all the time i would suggest checking this out
0: sounds good um yeah, I, I mean, also that sounds like a who's who of young up and coming actors.
1: Oh yeah, the cast is like the performances are really good. Uh, Shamik Moore is fantastic. and Shipka is really good. But I was really blown away by Isabella Merced. I didn't see. I think she was in a Transformers movie, like the last it, night.
0: It's the the one that that, that that's really good is um, Instant Family.
1: Oh, that's right, that's right. She's really that. That storyline was my favorite, the one with her and Shamik Moore. Um, but really, the whole cast is is really solid. Um, I don't know. And it feels like it kind of has, like, a Can't Hardly Wait vibe. Like, if you saw Can't Hardly Wait in the 90s, but, like, it's for 2019. So, you know, it's dealing with LGBTQ storylines, and it's not, like, insanely creepy in terms of, like, the best friend off the girl. (laughs) It's it's a little bit more, uh, for lack of a better word, woke, um, but not uh, to, like, a, a ridiculous degree or anything like that. It
0: all feels pretty organic, so... Cool. Well, you, you, yeah, I would say the, if you had led with it's like can't hardly wait, that probably would have just won me over at the beginning.
1: (laughs) Damn it, Matt. (laughs) Long winded rant. I could have just said it's like can't hardly wait. Exactly. Uh,
0: for me, uh, what I'm watching recently is on Netflix. It's called, it's a documentary series called Formula One, uh, Race to Survive. And it just, it, it, follows kind of the 2018 formula one season. And I kind of got a little interested. I recently did a trip for Hobbs and Shaw and we went to McLaren, uh, technology center and McLaren is one of the the companies that races in formula one. And, uh, it was kind of an interesting glimpse at that world. And so I kind of wanted to learn more and, and a guy on the trip, uh, recommended is like, hey, you should, if you're interested in that, you should definitely check out Formula One, Race to Survive on Netflix. And I did. And it's just really well made. I mean, the camera angles that they've got on these cars and the the way that they're doing uh, these shots of the races are great, but they've also woven in great storylines. So you have sort of this overarching storyline of this one racer who is sort of, he's kind of, he's been with Red Bull for a while and now he's thinking about changing teams and, you know, he's about to, you know, his contract is almost up, but the season really matters because his performance will affect how, you know, the kind of contract he can get going forward. But what's cool is it kind of jumps around into other storylines and doesn't kind of stay put. So in one episode, you'll sort of, you know, here's a team that that's really struggling near the bottom. They don't have as much money as Mercedes or Ferrari to spend on their car. So they're really struggling and trying to, to get out of the bottom of the race. And then, you know, you have like you know, a rivalry between these two racers from this country and like, you know, who's the up and comer and who's the veteran and just these really strong storylines. And then, of course, the racing itself is just really dynamic and fun to watch. And I've just I was surprised at how quickly it hooked me. And, you know, for me, a lot of times Netflix is like, oh, the thing that's on in the background. I mean, it just is. It's the thing that is on while I'm on my phone. What an existence. It's the screen (laughs) that's on while I look at my other screen. And Formula One had me putting down my phone and being like, no, I want to pay attention to this because this is – this. the footage is so good. The storyline is so uh, – the storylines are so captivating and I don't want to miss any of this. So that to me is the highest praise I can give is that it made me put down my fucking phone um, uh, to watch this thing. So – and again, if you – I, I am not like a Formula One guy. I came into this – the, I started watching the show as a complete, you know, neophyte and now I'm like, oh shit, I'm into formula one now. How about that? <laughs> so uh, I'm only, a, I'm only like three or four episodes in, but it's, it's really good. I highly recommend it. Nice. Um, okay. So no new reader hot takes this week, but, uh, I'm sure, (laughs) Hey, if you've seen the Mandalorian, maybe chime in with that. If you like the show and want to share some thoughts on Mandalorian or whatever, uh, you know, just leave us a review on iTunes with your hottest movie or TV related take, and we will engage with it on the next episode. If you want to keep up if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening. Everyone. We'll be back with you next week.